0: you are listening to agent court church's audio podcast for more information on agent court church including service times how to connect and campus locations please visit our website at onechurch.to well good morning and uh, if you're joining us online you see, you see the chat room button there or you have a prayer request just join the discussion and be a part of this gathering um, We began a series, It's Okay to Be Different, understanding that it's okay to be more than an animal. It's okay to be human. What makes us different is not the distinct DNA that we have, but that we're spiritual beings. We're wired to connect to our Creator, and uh, we can suppress that, we can substitute for it with religion, or we can express it. We can call on the name of the Lord, the living God, the one who, who made us. And uh, that was the first teaching of the series. And then we moved along in human history. And Pastor Jonathan brought us to Abraham last weekend. And he helped us understand that it's okay to zag when everybody else is zigging. As long as you're zagging means that you're sinking in synchronization with God's plan for your life and for the human race. Now... All right, so we start off the first humans in history uh, have the spirituality to connect with God. They fail, but God says, I'm going to raise up a nation through whom all the world will be blessed. Abraham says, sign me up for that. Then what happens? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And all of Abraham's children, all the generations, gather in Egypt, and uh, fast forward 400 years, by the time Moses comes along, guess what's happened to these people who have this mandate and mission to see through them come a Messiah through whom all nations of the world will be blessed. Guess what's happened to them? They have become a nation of slaves. They're not even in the land that God promised great-great-grandpa Abraham. They, they're a nation of slaves. And so Moses comes along and he says, on behalf of God, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And then ten miraculous plagues upon the people of Egypt later. Pharaoh changes his mind and says, go. And so Moses leads all of these wonderful children of Abraham out of slavery in Egypt right into the promised land, free at last, free at last, not so fast. <laughs> it became quickly very obvious that they were not ready to handle what God had promised them. But listen to me. They were not ready to handle what God wanted them to have. You know, I, there are times we think we're ready. We think we, we, we know. I... I um, I've got uh, four grandsons, uh, two, one, almost four, one, three. They both think, uh, they get behind the steering wheel of my truck. They, they both think they know how to drive. You know what I'm saying? They think they know how this thing works. I, one of them got out of, the three-year-old, he's here in the service this morning. He got out of the driver's seat of my, of my GMC truck, pickup truck. And you know, what he got, you know what it said when I went to start it the next time? It said, theft attempted. My own grandson. <laughs> Another one, he's almost four. He gets in there, he plays while well, he says, Poppy, can you give me the keys? You know, well, I think probably he'd do better than some of the people. Never mind, I won't, I won't, I won't go there. No. See, the, the, God's chosen people are not ready. Um, listen, they were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angry, rebellious, immature, small-minded, self-centered whiners. They're not ready. They're, they're about like the lifeguard who, well, he wanted to be a lifeguard, so he took the training for the course, but he failed because he couldn't swim enough well enough himself. So how is he going to save somebody else? He was furious with his instructors. He wanted to be a lifeguard, and so he forged the documentation. He lied on the job application. He got a job as a lifeguard. A few days into the job, there was someone that was in trouble in the water, and he went out to save them, and they both drowned. Why? Because he was not ready. Was not ready. There are times we wonder, God, you say this in the Bible. You promise this. I I really pray that you'd lead me into this. Why isn't it happening? It does not happen because God's a loving Father who knows we are not ready. We are not ready. Uh, Today, watch this though. We're going to see how you and I can become that kind of person that is ready for the more that God wants to give. Isn't that great? We're going to see it. And we're going to learn four lessons from these people that were with Moses. The same lessons that they had to learn, we have to learn as the people of God today. And the first one is this. If I am going to become more and become totally okay with, I have to become totally okay with thinking that God is for me. Not that God is neutral or against me for sure, but that God is for me. The alternative is to get stuck in smallness. Now, how can you get stuck in smallness? Well, uh, here's how it happens. We can get this view of God... That Because of our past experiences that so shape our view of God that we, we, we have a small view of God. We don't look for him to do the more to fulfill his promises in our life. My wife and I were watching a, a documentary on how uh, Syrian refugees were settling into Canadian communities a year plus later... And it was quite revealing because some of them had come from, you know, backgrounds where they just didn't know when they were going to be killed and they were persecuted. And here they were uh, telling the story of when they first came to Canada. I'll never forget the story of one dad, protective of his large family that he had come with. uh, A community in eastern Ontario had sponsored this Syrian refugee family. And he told the story about how they got off the plane at Toronto Pearson Airport. They met these people that were sponsoring them, and there was the driver there and someone else. There was a language barrier, but they got them into the vehicle, and they headed down the 401, and then they went off the 401 into all these woods and wilderness. You know, how many know is a big country? And he went up and he kept asking, where are we going? Where are we going? And some of his past began to catch up with him, the paranoia, the suspicion. And it caught up on them. He said later that what he thought was going to happen, what he's afraid would, that what was going to happen was that they were going to take him and his family out in the country, in the woods there somewheres, and shoot them. He said, where would he ever get that idea? How many understand? He, it was shaped from his past experience, it was conditioned. So, so think of these people that have spent four centuries in slavery. 400 years a slave. That can shrink anybody's view of God. God, even, are even there. If they prayed out loud, Exodus tells us what they prayed. It says they cried out to God in their misery. They didn't think of God as someone who had a vision for for more for their lives. That they would someday be the nation through whom all nations of the world will be blessed. Listen, they thought if we're blessing any nation, we're being forced as slaves to bless the Egyptian economy. That's as far as our blessing goes. That's all they could see. They knew how to relate to God as an Egyptian slave. They did not know how to relate to God as one of his sons and daughters. They didn't know how to relate to God as someone who was for them. They had this small view of God, and they became very cynical, very suspicious, not visionary, not looking for God to do more. How does a person get that small cynical mindset? How do we get it? Often, is this not true? Listen, if, if, if I've been disappointed, I get my hopes up only to have them knocked down again. You know, I move forward only to be pushed back again. If that happens again and again and again, I'm I'm going to get cynical. I'm not going to hope anymore. I'm just setting myself up for yet another disappointment. True. So that's what happens to these people. They they got very proficient at doing cynicism and satire. Uh, they they uh, they couldn't hope for something better because. They knew what was gonna be, it was just gonna be disappointment. It's like, you know, the fellow said, cheer up, things could be worse. So I cheered up and sure enough, things got worse. As expected. Or the, the, the kid that was uh, beginning of the game, uh, he says to his teammates, we're gonna lose this game. And they, one of his teammates says, be positive. He says, okay, I'm positive we're gonna lose this game. It's just, just cynicism, just to play it safe. And when you've grown up in negative suspicion and cynicism, it becomes the default way of thinking. After 400 years of slavery, you're imprisoned by that cynical thinking. <laughs> I mean, just listen to them. They've just witnessed 10 amazing supernatural miracles that saw them marching out of slavery onto the promised land. But as soon as they face this first setback, it's 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 like, did you bring us out here to die? I mean, listen to the satire. They were good at satire. Was it because that Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to this desert to die? How do you think? How do you approach God in the future? Do you think cynically, were you brought up in a home where it was negative and you've just been conditioned to think that way, to just be protective? Do you default to suspicion and cynicism? You know what happens if we're cynical? If that's our, you know, true north, if that's our normative, that will spill over into our view of God. And we'll be cynical about God. And if we are, we will never expect him to do more in our lives. And you know what will happen? He'll never do more. He'll never be able to fulfill the promises in our lives because we're not ready for that. We're stuck in smallness and cynicism. It's just like the 12 spies. You can do the math there. 12 went out to scout out the promised land. And they came back. 10 of them said, it was just like God said. Land flowing with milk and honey. God is delivering exactly what he promised. Except we can't do it. We cannot do it. The two said, hold on. You're leaving God out of the equation. If God is for us, we can do it. And so, so, guess how many of those 12 actually set foot in the promised land? The two of them, Joshua and Caleb, the two that said, if God is for us, we can do this. We can do this, people. And, and, and they are the ones. Because if, if, if we're stuck in that smallness, if we're trying to do life without God for who he is, how many know God is big? And if God's your partner, you make your plans large. God is for me. Or or you get stuck in smallness. That's exactly what Jesus said. The Apostle Paul writes to Christians. They're facing severe persecution. And he says, here's your trump card. Okay, bad choice of words. Okay, all right, anyway. (laughs) He says this. He says, God sent his son for you. God sent his son for you. Listen, if he did not spare his own son... What would he withhold from you? Once God has given to humans his one and only son, everything else is infinitely less sacrificial for him to give. How many know we have proof that he loves us and that he's a good God and he's on our side because he gave us his son? He gave us his son. Uh, And what does Jesus say about us? What does he want you to become? You know what he wants you to become? You and me. To become more like Jesus more and more and more and more like Jesus as we grow in his grace and knowledge the older we get as Christians and he wants us to live the kind of life that people can see and hear about Jesus in us and then one day we're going to see Jesus face to face that's our future right That's our future. Thank God for that wonderful future that he not only promises, but he will deliver. That's what he says about you now. So past disappointments and cynicism do not rule your future. You know, how many can say, I'm not gonna downsize God. I'm not gonna plan the future by deleting God. I am going to go into the future saying, I can do all things through Christ who is with me. He will give me the strength, whatever I face. As a church, I mean, Part of this series will help us reposition ourselves as a church community in Canada. We, listen, we need not be intimidated by what is now called, listen, a post, post-Christian post Canada. That's what they call us now. Our challenge in Canada is not near as huge as the first century followers of Jesus. There were just a few of them. As Christian sociologist Rodney Stark quoted from him earlier in the series he's he's the go to guy for the the why the church grew so much in the first century. He's written two acclaimed books trying to explain it. And he asked the question, how did a tiny and obscure messianic movement from the edge of the Roman Empire dislodge classical paganism and become the dominant faith of Western civilization? Do you know how they did it? Because they knew Jesus and they acted like Jesus and they loved people like Jesus loved them. That's how they did it. How many of it makes you want to say, "Oh God, do it again!" In our lifetime, in Canada, in Toronto, in our church community, Lord, may we plan that in the years ahead, should not You not return, Lord, do it again, do it again in us and through us. Past, that's Pastor Jonathan's heart. That's his prayer. Matter of fact, I'm planning together with him a series in January, the beginning of the new year that has the potential to energize and to re-energize brand new power in your prayer life. And it's going to start with you and I changing and our church changing and then reaching out and helping change our world just like Jesus did. So I'm excited about that. But how many understand that it all starts with us understanding that God is for us? How many know we can face the future with confidence because Jesus, who always delivers what he promises, said, I will build my church and the worst you face in Toronto and Canada and the world will not be able to overcome that which I am establishing through you. Nothing can stop us. Our God is for us. Who can be against us? Right on? All right. So so thinking God is for me. And then making our life about others is the the second thing. When uh, when the followers of Jesus began to, uh, in the first century, changed their world and turned a world that was upside down, right side up. I I mentioned to you that Rodney Stark, when he explains it, he he gives uh, four reasons. I shared one reason with you in the first teaching of this series. That was the theology of love. Because Christians love people the way that Jesus loved them. Jesus had told them. He said, care for the sick, the widow, the orphan, the hungry, the thirsty, the brokenhearted, the oppressed. You know, as you have been forgiven, Forgive. As I have accepted you, accept other people just as they are. Help them become what they can be. As I have loved you, love one another. That's how people are going to know that you're Christians. Listen, making my life about others. We're going to have to get okay with that. Have you ever read Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus? I mean, it was decades going by of God trying to help his people realize that life was more than about me. They, had, they were always on me mode. And, and he tried to help them. that it, it was about others. They were sort of like the woman who took the uh, Red Cross training. And uh, one day, after taking the Red Cross training, she was telling the story later, I came across this horrible car accident and there was bodies in the road and, and, and there was people injured. They needed help and there was blood everywhere, and I, um, I, she said it was right then that my Red Cross training came back to me. And she said, so I lowered my head down to my knees so that I wouldn't faint. <laughs> That's sort of like the, where they were at when they first started out. Everything was about them, and, and just survival, and just about themselves. And so Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, have you ever read through those? <laughs> When you understand that it was God putting rules and regulations into place to help them realize that they were to take care of the widow and the orphan and the foreigner and the neighbor, and then what's the tabernacle and the priesthood all about? To get them outside of themselves and others and get them turning to God. When you realize that's what it was about, making their lives about others. Listen to this second reason that Rodney Stark gives for why the First century Christians who loved people the way Jesus loved them, how the church just exploded. All right, I'm going to read from it. Plagues, fires, natural disasters, and devastation from riots or war were semi-regular occurrences in the cities in which the early Christians called home. What distinguished Christians was their response to these all too frequent calamities. Instead of fleeing to the countryside to escape the most recent plague, They stayed to care for their own and for others. Even without any knowledge of medical science, the simple act of providing food, water, and shelter to sick people vastly improved survival rates in times of widespread disease. It also sent a powerful message of solidarity to those pagans who happened to receive a helping hand. The results, over time, were shifting social networks and regular conversions to this community of faith that was so dedicated to the service of others. That's written by a non-Christian sociologist. He said, that's why it happened. He says, he's basically, people opened their lives to Christ because they saw Jesus Christ in Christians. In other words, Christianity was about getting others into what God wanted for them. You know, it's still the way it works today. You look at any place in the world today, and you can look at the data and the statistics. There's so many good news stories of where the church is exploding like the New Testament church did all around the world. And every place that it's happening, they're making the church life together about, not themselves, but about others. That's why the mission of our church is know God, love people, impact our city. That's why in a few weeks from now, we're going we're gonna to be partnering with some very sacrificial people who go around the world to to help children in orphanages feed food and bring the good news of Jesus to people all around the world. We're going to have our global focus weekends together. It's why every week hundreds of people come right to this aging court campus and are fed food and are cared with clothing and the practical needs of their life. You see, the first century church did all of that, but get this, They did it, and they exploded in numbers while they were being persecuted. If you were a Christian, now we know about prisons and and hauling people off, but they were kicked out of the synagogues, they were kicked out of their families. Many of them in their communities, they couldn't get a job if people found out they were a Christian. And these are the stories. It didn't happen in every generation, but there were times during the early church where they were thrown to the lions as entertainment for for a bloodthirsty crowd. It was in those times. And so you'd have Christians fleeing from one community, going to another, and looking for a safe place for their family to live. And so they couldn't go and say, I'm a Christian. And I'm fleeing because that might get them put into jail or killed or thrown to, in the arena. And so they wouldn't say that. They, they were, and they had to have codes and symbols that they used. And so they did. Uh, some of you may have seen one of those symbols, the sign of a fish on the back of a car or a vehicle. And you wondered, what, what does that mean? What are the origins? Well, the origins are this. And I got a really cool one to show you at cathedral tonight very briefly. But it's very, very neat. But... But, but here's the one that's most common. And it would go like this. Here's how it came about. You, you, you go to a new community. You're looking for other Christians to give you a safe place. That's why the word hospitality from the Greek language, the New Testament, is written in. It means love of strangers. Love of strangers. practice hospitality, love strangers. It was very important for that first century community to do this because people would be coming and looking for a safe place to uh, get together with other Christians, but you couldn't let people know you're a Christian. So you couldn't email ahead. You couldn't text or go on the website and try and find a, a Christian community where you were fleeing to with your family. And so what would happen would be this. You'd be in a conversation with someone in that new community and you go up to them and, and, and you get talking and then you'd maybe get a sense that they were a follower of Jesus. And so you just, with your foot, you would just draw a little line that had a curve on it. And if they were a Christian, if they weren't a Christian, they wouldn't know what you were doing. They'd think, well, he's got an itchy foot, I guess. But, but if they were a Christian, they would, they would respond and, and, and finish off that symbol and, uh, and so you had someone that was just, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, is that okay? And they draw this, just this line. And then if the other person was a Christian, they would automatically love that stranger, I'm going to be there for you, it's okay to be different, it's okay to be a Christian. And they just draw with their foot and finish off the symbol, the sign of the fish. That's the origin, that's where it originally came from. And that's why God did so many good things through the New Testament church because they had a view that God was for them and they also said, God, make my life not just about us four and no more. <laughs> make my life about, say it with me, about others. They didn't get stuck in self-centeredness. And then third, here's a here's third thing that has to happen if we're gonna become more. We're going to have to be totally okay with lightening the weight of our leaders or get stuck in BTL. How many say, I know what BLT is, (laughs) but what's BTL? I think you're going to be able to figure it out. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to figure it out as we go into it. When, When I tell you what the people did to Moses, I think you're going to figure out what BTL stands for. Now, I want to say this because we're not picking on them. To be fair... All these people had known for 400 years, right from Pharaoh, right down to the the Egyptian foreman. What they had known in their years of slavery were, were leaders who used them and abused them, and that you are on the planet For me to extract as much as I can from you. You are here to help my economy. And so when you've been part of that for that many years. You know. All you do is grumble and complain about your leaders. Right? You wouldn't have a whole lot of good to say about any leaders. And so what happens then. When Moses comes along. Sent by God to lead them into the fulfillment of promises. How are you going to treat a leader? They only knew one way to treat a leader. And so that's why every time something went wrong, what does the Bible say? The people grumbled against. Moses. It just says that over and over. God miraculously leads them across the Red Sea on dry ground, and then the waves sweep over every pursuing, murderous Egyptian soldier that's after them to kill them. And they get over, and they celebrate, and they have a song, and then they get thirsty. And they say, Moses, I know why you brought us into this desert to die of dehydration, right? Every time I read that, I was reading it this past week. I know I told you years before, but I remember coming home from church in Edmonton, it was a hot summer. Sunday morning, and we had no air conditioner in the car, and, and I just had two services, and the kids, Esther, we had one car, so Esther was there for both services. It a long morning for the boys. We're on the way home, and I hear this voice from the back seat. One of the boys says, I want a gink. I said, okay, well, Matthew, like, we're, we're about 12 minutes away from the house, and when, we don't have any water in the car, but when we get there, we'll get you something to drink, okay? Okay, Daddy. Less than 60 seconds later, I want a gink. <laughs> Matthew, we, we don't have any water in the car, but we're now 10 minutes away from the house. 10 minutes will go by fast, and then we'll get you some water. Okay? Okay, Daddy. 30 seconds go by. I want a gink. Every time I read about these People following Moses, I just can't imagine for what it was like for him as a leader to have thousands of thousands of thousands of voices saying in unison, relentlessly, harassingly, just saying, I want a gink, I want a gink, I want a gink. I just can't imagine what that would have been like, whining like that for hours. Mom and dad, you think you have it bad with your two-year-old, you know what I'm saying? Have you got beat... T.L. figured out yet? Anytime anything went wrong, it was always blame the leader. Blame the leader. How different it was, though, when Moses' father-in-law showed up. Jethro, he saw all the work that Moses was doing, and here's what he thought. How can I lighten the load? He said, hey, here's an organizational plan where you can train people to help you out an administrative plan just to to help you out. You're going to kill yourself like this, Moses. I just love that attitude. You know, if you go into work tomorrow with the attitude, how can I lighten the load of my boss? Just to go in with that attitude, that perspective. Not what can I get out of it, what about me? But how can... You'd shine for Jesus there. It'd just be amazing. But I'm so grateful for those that lighten the load for me during my 41 years of pastoring. You'll remember I started when I was 13, so do the math. And, and now I'm able to do that for Pastor Jonathan. You know, whether it's uh, teaching on the weekends, teaching next course or leadership course or in chapel or uh, advising him or helping out with uh, other people. Um... I can lighten the load for him. Every meeting I prepare for and I go to, I always think, how can I lighten the load for Pastor Jonathan? You know, it's just, it's just, it's just automatic. How can, how can I lighten the load so we can further the mission of the church for others? Here's how Hebrews says it. It says this, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for that would be of no benefit from you. Do you see what he's saying? If if their work is a burden and not a joy, it's, it's you know, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You know, it's what sort I'm of saying that kind of thing here. Listen, church family, if we're going to handle what God wants for us in the future, the only way we're going to get there is if we lighten the loads of the leaders. And then there's a fourth thing that they they had to learn in order to move into the promised land, what God had for them, and that was this. Becoming more than they already were. We've got to get okay with becoming more, and that means becoming totally okay with becoming more than I already am. The alternative? Get stuck in immaturity. By the way, do you know that after all of the miracles and the victory over the Amalekites and the Moabites and the Mosquito Bites, all of all those victories, they just see how God is for us? They had evidence. They had years of evidence that God was for us. All the teaching about making their lives for others in Numbers and Leviticus. Do you know there were still those that wanted to go back to Egypt? Numbers 14, verse 4. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Rather than move into the future that God had for them. You know, I remember when I first became pastor of Asian Court, I guess 24 or so years ago now, getting letters from people that were upset with me about the songs that we were singing and uh, clapping to the songs, and the deacon board getting letters about how I was so different from Pastor Mulligan. Uh, and Christmas and Easter, we're doing these big outreaches. Why can't we do it like we used to? And I, I remember all of that, and, and you know you know what, if I get letters and emails these days, it's usually about, oh, Pastor Keith, how can we get back to the days when, you know, you were do, doing this or doing that, you know? And I, I told Pastor Jonathan, I said, 20 years from now, you're going to be getting emails or however people communicate 20 years from now, you're going to get a big note saying, oh, for the good old days when we had online church. Good old-fashioned online church, you know, those were the days. One church, T.O., oh, that was, those were the days. It's not just church where that happens. You know, if only Canada could go back to what it used to be. If only my work could be what it used to be before computers. If only, if only men were like they used to be. Don't anyone say anything right now. Now, listen to me. It doesn't mean that there wasn't good in the past. I found this in the book of Numbers too. Listen to the people when they remember the good old days in Egypt. When they were slaves, by the way. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. How many know you've got to be very nostalgic to long for a a, a combo plate like that? (laughs) Yes, there was good in the past even when there was so much misery. There was some good there. But they were letting it get in the way of God moving them forward into what he had for the fulfillment of his plan for the human race in the future. God was not only wanting them to get into a land flowing with milk and honey, He had promised that. He was wanting his people to partner with him, listen to me, in the next chapter of him fulfilling his ultimate rescue plan for the human race. The next generation needs to know too. My wife and I were in Edmonton uh, last year and uh, some sweet people... um, We actually were down at Sylvanay Camp an hour and a half from Edmonton. I was speaking at a camp there and a whole bunch of the people that we pastored 30 years ago came down to that uh, camp and, and they had a little reunion at one of the, after the, one of the services, and, and all the people there were talking about, you know, what the Lord did during those days and how many came to Christ and their children are serving the Lord. It was all good. But I, when I was wrapping up the time together, I said to them, you know, it's been so encouraging for Esther, my wife and I, to hear all that God did when we were with you. But here's my prayer for you, that your best days spiritually would not be those days, these days, but they'd be the days that are yet before you. The days that are yet before you. (laughs) A number of years ago, do you remember I gave you a list of uh, you know you're getting old when? One of them was, you know you're getting old when, and it sounded, you know, like something cute. You know you're getting old when you you kneel down to pick up something and you think, what else can I get while I'm down here? Well... I told you the story, I had that herniated disc, and it was the nerve pain, it was excruciating. Honest, I couldn't put on my socks or shoes during the time, so, anyway, but I remember seeing something, and I needed to get down there, and I got down like this, and I thought, what else can I get when I'm down here? I thought, oh no, it's happening, I'm getting old. <laughs> How many know getting old is mandatory, growing up is optional. It's optional. We choose. I refuse to be one of those Christians that dies at 55 and isn't buried till they're 85. (laughs) Ain't gonna happen. To my dying breath, because of Jesus and others, I want to be part of what God is doing. I want to be reaching more and more people of every generation for him. I want to be doing all that I can to experience the more that God has promised that he wants to give in the future of his church that nothing can stop. Oh, I want that more than anything. You know, you say, well, how can I get unstuck? Well, have you been water baptized? You know, are you sort of staying here? What about that step of it? First of all, find out what it is. Don't do it because a church teaches it or a pastor talks about it. Do it because you find out how meaningful it is in the Bible and, and why it's just a thrilling uh, testimony to the place that Jesus has in your life. You know, pa- Pastor uh, Richard talked about that one earlier. What about the uh, partnering with Pastor Jonathan? Partner. It's the name of the membership course. How many have been attending here for years? That would be a great next step for you to say, I'm at least going to go and hear what Pastor Jonathan says about the future of the church so I can, in an educated way, decide if that's a good next step for me in this church community. that's, That's available. What about the card that you got on the way in? How many are serving Jesus? You have gifts, and you have a place you're serving Jesus in in the community. Well, on one side, four steps to serve. If you're watching online, you know, you can just take a shortcut and go right to the website, and there it is for you. Uh, seven ways to give. How many between now and when your life is over, or you go to be with Jesus, you want to say, "I want a percentage of all of my income to be invested in, in in reaching people for Jesus, because that's the only investment that I will make that's going to last forever." Right on. And so you can see the seven ways to give there and to respond that way. You say, Pastor, give us something that's more immediate than that. Okay, what about cathedral at five thirty today? <laughs> and let just like The whole book of Ephesians was read to the first-century Christians, so it's going to be read to us in dramatic and very special ways tonight in that hour and a half together. It's going to be so exciting and potentially life-changing and strengthening for us as Christians. So take another step. Listen to one small part of what you're going to hear tonight in this room. This is from Ephesians. Then we will no longer be infants. We'll no longer be immature, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, say it with me, we will grow. Grow to what? To become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. That is Christ. So Christian, we've covered a lot of ground. What areas can you grow in? What are the next steps for you? Uh, All right. Let let me just draw something and then leave it with you. (laughs) You didn't know that this teaching pastor was such an artist, did you? This is difficult. What am I saying by drawing that? I'm saying I'm a Christian. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in the community, even to strangers. I, I'm letting know I am a follower of Jesus. I believe God is on our side. I live not just for self, but for others. I support my leaders because we've got a great mission to do. I want to become more than what I already am. You say, now we know what's next Complete it. No, 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 that's up to you. I'm saying where I'm at, now it's for the other Christian to step forward and, and put that, their line in the sand and say, here I stand, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ too. In prayer right now, whether you're online or in this room at Kennedy and Finch, you could do that right now. You could just say that to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we are more than okay with becoming more and more like you, Jesus. Becoming more than what we already are. Help anybody that's stuck or stagnant to just say, Jesus, I want more of you. I want to be more like you, and I want people to see more of you in me. Lord, thank you that our starting point is that you are with us and you are for us. With you, we have what it takes to move into the future as more than conquerors. We can conquer whatever comes against us as a follower of Jesus in Toronto, Canada, and our world going forward. We can be those people that turn the world right side up. Lord, do it again, Jesus, we pray. Every week in this series, just build something more in us that awakens that cry to say, Jesus, I want more of you, so I'll give you more of me. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.